You love Jesus, say amen. amen. So glad to have you in the house today. What a blessing it is to be with each and every one of you. I've been looking forward to worship with my spiritual family. Sometimes <clears throat> when I don't feel like it, and I know you're probably thinking, wait a minute, you're the preacher, you're supposed to always feel like it. Sometimes when I don't feel like it, it's just, it's thinking about the amazing presence of God that stirred when people begin to lift up praise together. The Bible says in Psalm 22, verse 3, but thou, O Lord, art holy, you inhabit the praises of Israel. You know what? When his people show up, when God's people come together and begin to lift their hearts because you have a reason to give him some praise, and let me tell you, if you have, if you have breath in your lungs this morning, you have a reason to give God some praise. Amen. So put your hands together one more time. Everybody say, praise him. <clears throat> Seven Guiding Lights began last Sunday. We talked about the need for guidance, the promise that God gives us in Psalm 31, verses 1 through 5. It says, for your name's sake, you will lead me and guide me. We're not going to re-preach that. <clears throat> not even really going to go through much review, but I'd like you to stand with me one more time, if you would, please. We have just a few real short one-scripture passages that we want to read as we start this message today. Amazing presence of the Lord in the house today. Did Alexander do a great job leading us this morning or what? Give her a hand. <clears throat> Amen. I believe she sang about a generation that's rising, and she is part of that generation. I, I, I love to see young people that are on fire for Jesus, and their hearts are filled with the Holy Spirit, and, and helping them to, to come out and, and emerge into their destiny. And she certainly is one of the young ladies in this house. A number of folks uh, just seeing God do some awesome things in their lives, in her group, in those junior high, high school kids. So, amen. We love you guys. Excited. Let's read the word of the Lord together this morning from this message we find in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Here we go. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Did you notice the word testing? Everybody say testing. So God gives us some tests. There is a litmus test that we can learn to see if this is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. <clears throat> I'm going to talk about that this morning. Uh, we have three single verses from Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible. I was about 10 years old in a prayer meeting, and one little sister in her 70s decided she wanted to read the word one night. And they said, she said, I have some scripture. May I read it? And the person that was leading the prayer meeting said yes. And she read the whole 119th Psalm, all 176 verses. They woke me up in about 20 minutes off the floor. No, I love God's word, but uh, we just don't have three today. Not 176, but three. Here we go. Let's get it. If you would click on that one. Thank you. Here we go. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Um, King James says, but your word, O Lord, is forever settled in heaven. God's word is sure. It's stable. It's steadfast. He's not going to change his mind. Um, it's not an if situation, but God is a God of integrity. He's a covenantal God. His word is true. Say amen. amen. Next verse. Here we go. Psalm 119 verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Do you remember Psalm 1? The Bible said, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Talks about those three things that he doesn't do. He says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law, he meditates day 
and night. So this is what the psalmist is saying. How I love your law, O Lord, it is my meditation all the day. Last verse, and this one is key to what we're going to be sharing this morning. Psalm 119, <coughs> verse 105. Here we go. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. Pray with me. Gracious God, we thank you for the privilege of standing before your people today. I acknowledge before you and before these listening that I cannot do anything apart from you. Holy Spirit, you're the only teacher. Do what you do. Let me get out of the way. But God, I ask you to speak through me, even as the Apostle Peter said, that the words would come as the oracles of God. Let my lips be your lips. Lord, I thank you today that you just put a filter on my mind and you give me the unction to speak the things that will uniquely touch the hearts of each and every individual in this room. I can't do that, but Spirit of God, you can do that. You can take a coal off of the altar and you can drop that into the heart of each individual. It amazes me how your word works. One sermon can give something unique to each individual in this room, and we look to that. We look to you, and faith is in you, Lord, to speak to us today. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do, and we ask you for this in the name of Jesus and everybody said. You may be seated together in the presence of the Lord. Very quick review of the seven guiding lights. Last Sunday, we talked about the need for guidance. The next seven messages are going to be as follows. Today is the first one on scriptural confirmation. The word of God is the plumb line for the house that you're building, your life. Okay? Hold that thought. Let me just give you this quick review of these other six, and we'll come back to that thought right there. Scriptural confirmation. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Next week, we'll be talking about inner conviction. Romans 8, verses 14, 15, 16, talk about inward witness. Some of you guys have had a gut feeling. Women talk about intuition. God can give you an impression of the Spirit. We'll move from an objective understanding of the word that is the standard and move to a subjective of how do I feel in this situation? Okay, we do both, okay? God does not just use one of these lights. He uses all of them. The more critical the decision that you're going to be making in your life to discern the will of the Lord, the more of these guiding lights you want to line up on the runway of your life so you can land the plane safely and see the favor of God be on your decision. We are an extremely selfish, self-centered, self-promotional self-actualizing society. We, we revel in our rugged individualism. It is the American ideal. That is not how the kingdom of God operates. There are things that make us Americans that sometimes we have to wrestle down in order to be Christians the way God intended us to be. Now, let me just say, everybody ought to work hard. It's good to be, uh, to some extent, an individual and to, to grab it in the sort of take life by the horn, so to speak, in that rugged individualistic aspect. But the idea that I would be independent from God, but then basically tack God on, sort of like the caboose, a totally unnecessary part of a train. Matter of fact, you don't even see them on the trains that come through anymore. Most of the time, they're being pulled by and pushed by engines on both ends because the trains are so long and there's so much weight. The little caboose that you used to see on the ends of trains, which lets you know it was the end of the train, you don't even see those kinds of cars anymore, and they're just sort of unnecessary. Uh, and if I'm wrong to my railroad men that are in here, correct me later, and I'll make a correction next week. But you understand what I'm saying. Caboose just doesn't seem to have a whole lot of purpose. 
And so a lot of times we, we attach God onto our lives as an addendum like that. We make our own independent, self-centered, self-promotional plans. And then we remember, oh, I'm a Christian. I better try to get God's favor on this. God, bless this decision I'm making as I go into this business venture. I invest this capital. I lay my life down. I'm risking and we make our plans, and we make our decisions, and then we say, we spend time on our face. When it starts to not happen the way we want it to, we get on our knees then and we say, God, why don't you bless my plans? And I just want to tell you, I think that if we as Christians, we can learn to turn this thing back around and go to God first. Too often I hear people say, um, well, I've done everything that I can. I guess it's time to pray. And I bite my tongue to keep from saying, well, congratulations on the mess you've made because if you'd prayed first, maybe you wouldn't be in this mess. Okay, so we need to learn to go to God first. And let me get back. I'm trying my best to do these, these review quick and I keep jumping off track. So all the rabbits, I'm going to kill them right now. Here we go. Scriptural confirmation, inner conviction. Third one is godly counsel. Godly counsel. I have to go and see what other people think, people that I trust. People that I know have some leadership in their lives. It's not just my immediate peer group because they're not any further down the road than I am. I want somebody who's lived longer, been there, done that, got the t-shirt, running the race, figured this thing out. I'm having trouble in my marriage. I want to get some godly counsel from some of my other folks. So scriptural confirmation, inner conviction, godly counsel. Next one is prophetic confirmation. God will stir up some folks sometimes who have a gift and unction of the Holy Spirit who have no knowledge of your circumstances, but will speak and say, thus saith the Lord into your life. Or will say, I was praying for you and God gave me this passage of scripture. Take it and see what he has for you in it. I believe in prophetic confirmation. I've had prophets of the Lord speak and prophesy over my life. I'll tell you about that when we get to that week. Scripture confirmation, inner conviction, godly counsel, prophetic confirmation. Number five, everybody say peace of God. That's P-E-A-C-E, the peace of God. The, The overwhelming calmness and poise that Jesus had asleep in the boat when the disciples were losing their mind and there was a storm blowing all around them. He had peace. He laid down in peace. How can I have peace in the middle of circumstances? We'll talk about it that week. Number six, The provision of God. Look at your neighbor right now and say, where God guides, God provides. Enough said. Number seven, and we're finished with the review. Circumstantial evidence. All the stuff that lines up, whether it's going to work out or not, we'll talk about that the last week. And I'll tell you why we leave that one last, okay? We know that God works together all things for our good because we love him and we are the called according to his purpose. So those are your seven guiding lights. We're flying a plane. And a pilot uses the the runway lights to be able to land the plane safely. The decisions that you make need to be built on the revealed will and word of God. You have a copy of the will of God sitting in your lap. Whether it's leather bound, whether it's in a smartphone, whether it's in a tablet of some kind, you have the ability to some extent to open the pages of the word of God. And this morning, that's what we begin with. We talk, first of all, about the priority of the word. Everybody say priority. Priority. Scriptural confirmation is the cornerstone. It's what we begin this series with. You, You dig trenches to lay a footer to build a house, whether you're laying it in brick or cinder block and bringing it up out of the ground or whether or not you're pouring a slab, you still have to have the dimensions of that house to be plumb. 
The word of God is the plumb line for our lives. Jesus gives us a story. It's recorded in two of the gospels in Matthew chapter 7 and Luke chapter 6. It says, there were those who followed him and Jesus said that there are two men. Both of them heard and he said, the difference between these two men is that one of them heard and one of them not only heard, but did. He said, the wise man is the one who heard the words of the Lord and put them into practice. He is like a man who dug down deep and laid a foundation and he built his house upon the rock. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up and the wise man's house stood firm. You remember the other story? It's a foolish man. A foolish man builds his house on the sand. He hears the words, but he doesn't put them into practice. So the difference between the two is not hearing. They both have the ability to hear. They both have the spiritual faculty of perception. Proverbs 22 says, The Lord gives the seeing ear and the hearing eye. The Lord has made them both. If you have the ability to hear and understand what the gospel brings, you are blessed. Because some people don't have that ability. God has not opened their hearts. He's hardened their hearts, the scripture says. As a matter of fact, Jesus talks to his own disciples and he said, listen, we've hidden this from the religious so that they couldn't see it. Yeah, that's in your Bible. Jesus says, if you have the ability to hear, now you have a response. There is a choice. You choose to either act on that and when you choose to act on it, you are like the wise man who builds his house upon the rock. It's something solid. Now, the foolish man builds his house and it looks great from the outside. I had a friend who was buying a house a number of years ago in a really nice upscale neighborhood in Jonesboro, Arkansas, and he really couldn't figure out why this house was being sold at such a ridiculously low price. He was excited because it was a very upscale neighborhood. There were houses that were three, four, five hundred thousand dollar homes, and he was getting this thing for like 180, and it was not that much smaller than the others. And it's beautiful from the outside, amazing curb appeal, great colors, brick and stone, you know, beautiful landscaping. And so he brings in a house inspector. Everybody say, you need a building inspector. Okay, who's the building inspector? That's Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit moving and working in our lives. Brings in a building inspector. And this thing is amazing from the outside. It looks great, but come to find out, he said, you don't want to buy this house because it's going to take you as much as you're going to pay for it, putting into it to bring it up to speed. And really, it needs to be torn down because it does not have architectural integrity. The foundation of the house is faulty. You can't see it. You know, if you don't know what to look for, you can, you're looking at the outside. And this is so many times the way a lot of our individual lives look. Everybody looks around, maybe at you or me, and they say, man, that person really has it together. But you don't see the cracks in the foundation. You see the flowers and the landscaping and the great colors and the shutters and the gorgeous door. And everything is just looks so wonderful in place. But you don't see maybe that that thing is infested with termites. Or you don't see that the thing has significant in problems architecturally. There's no integrity. A little bit of storm and that house is not going to stand. It'll fall down. Too many times we find out after the fact, when, once the autopsy is done, once a ministry falls, once a marriage crumbles, once integrity has been destroyed, immorality comes in. Many times we find out that what looked good in appearance before everybody else is there had been a years, years of, of infestation of a termite 
of an improper relationship that began an affair that destroyed the marriage. Maybe it was pornography. Maybe it was an improper situation of dealing with money in the wrong way, financial impropriety. And man, it looked great to the community for a long time, and then the whole house crumbled, the business died, the marriage was gone. Do I have your attention? We're all building a house. We want to build a house that's solid. We want to build a house that has integrity. We need a building inspector to check our house. The Word of God is the cornerstone. Jesus is the cornerstone. The Word of God is the plumb line. It's, it's what makes sure the foundation is set and it's solid. It's what makes sure that the slab is going to be laid properly. And some of you builders could preach this better than I could. Greg, some of the other folks who do renovation, you understand the critical nature of what's involved. You don't just go out there and slap up something that looks good from the outside. It's got to be sturdy. It has to withstand earthquake. It has to stand up in strong winds. Don't shout me down this morning. Are you hearing what I'm saying? All right, number one, the priority of the word. Proverbs chapter four, verses 20 through 23. Listen as I read. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. King James says, keep them before your eyes. Keep them within the midst of your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. King James says, my son, attend to my words. And I remember growing up when my dad would tell me to do something. And if I didn't do it immediately, he would say, tend to it. Get it done. Look at your neighbor and say, get her done. Attend to it. It's giving your attention to something. And I would ask you the question, to what are you giving attention in your life? What, what has the gaze, G-A-Z-E, what has your long, disciplined focus? What are you looking at? What goals do you have set before you? Does the word of God figure into this somewhere in the equation? Is there some time that is being spent on a regular, consistent basis? Let me just say this to you. I'm, I'm not going to guilt you. I hate religious manipulation. There, there are a lot of churches that you can go to that do a great job at that, and this is not one of them. Let me just tell you right now, there are days I don't have a taste for the word. Don't even look at me in a strange tone of voice. Well, preacher, I can't believe you'd say that. You're, you're a man of God. You're supposed to be mature. Yeah, that's exactly right. I'm telling you, there are days I wake up, I just don't feel like it. Some of you, are dis you're afraid to say, I know what you mean. There are days that I don't feel like getting out of the bed and coming up here on Sunday morning. I'd like to be able to have the luxury just to be able to lay there and sit back and worship at the altar of the Almighty Mattress. Just let slumber be sweet. But there's something about it. I know that when I get down here, it's, it's kind of like going to the gym. And, and my life has been so crazy and so busy lately. I haven't had a lot of consistent time in the gym. But I know that when I do actually get up and actually get in the car and go down there and walk into the facility, that's half of the battle right there. 
Because once I get in there, I'm going to be greeted by some folks that are, that, are, that are excited and they're glad to be there and they're seeing results in their lives and they're working hard and man, they're encouraging. And then, man, how you doing? Haven't seen you in a while. And it's amazing how once I get there, I, I get encouraged by the other folks that are already involved. Just a little bit like church. When I show up at this place and, 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 and I decide I'm going to come in and I don't feel like giving God praise, and I just say, well, I'm going to determine, I'm going to make a decision, I'm going to get my praise on, and I come on down here and we, I, 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 I get up and get, shave my face and wash the sleepy out of my eyes, and I, I get dressed, and I come on down here, we start warming up, and something starts stirring down on the inside of me, and, and we start singing, and here comes just the presence of God that whoosh comes in and it starts to turn my focus a little bit. Same thing happens when I open the word, when I have one of those mornings that I just, just not really hungry. You know what I do? I, I don't guilt myself into it. I don't say, oh, well, don't you think that God deserves as much time as that little golf ball does on the golf course? Don't you think God deserves as much time in your life as those fish do on your boat? I mean, religious folk can really put it all over you. Don't you think God, and you know, I just want to go, please don't paint that poor little God image to me. God is so amazing. He's so phenomenal. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need anything I've got. I desperately need him. If I got to talk you like one of those ridiculous commercials where they put those, all those little bitty babies with, that are just eat up with flies and their, their bellies are distended and they try to manipulate me into sending some money. I hate that mess. I, I, I should have compassion, but don't try to guilt me into doing anything for God. If I tell you today, you ought to be reading 10 chapters. All I've done is just given you a new set of laws and dressed up religion with a new robe. And you go home and you go out of here and you're going, oh, okay, I've got to make the decision to do better because I've got to get in the word. And if I get in the word, God will be impressed and he will like me. All of that's the totally wrong reason. We don't come to the word because we're trying to get God curry favor with him and maybe he'll decide that if I've done enough that he'll bless some of the decisions that I've made. Let me tell you something. You begin with the understanding that God's crazy about you. God has your picture on his refrigerator in the kitchen of heaven. Your picture, Amy Gossman. Your picture, Perry Reginelli. Everybody in this room, he has graven you upon the palms of his hands. The psalmist said that you are the apple of his eye. That's the most precious tender part. Somebody comes at you to take a swing at you or slug you or hit you in any kind of way. You're going to protect your eyes because of their value and the preciousness they are to you. And what the psalmist is saying, that you are precious to God. You are, you are his. You are his child. He loves you. You don't go to the word out of any desire to try to, oh, let's win a couple of points and get me a couple of brownie points and a couple of gold stars on the, the, the legal code of heaven. That's just another form of religion. That's not what we're about here. You know what? When you get desperate enough, when you get hungry enough, when you realize how much you desperately need God, you'll crack that old Bible and knock that dust off and you'll go, God, you'll get on your face and you'll go, God, open the words of this thing. Lord, don't just let it be black ink on white paper, but let it come alive and let it cause some fire to get down in my bosom, oh God. Change me and transform me. I cry out to you, God, in this struggle that I'm in. I cry out to you, God, in this temptation I'm facing. I cry out to you, God, for guidance and wisdom. Let your word be my lamp and my guide and let it shine on my path in the name of Jesus. And you know what? When you start to get hungry enough, 
That's the key right there. When I know I'm not hungry, I just pray very simply, God, I'm not in the mood. I'm not hungry. I cry. Give me grace. Make me hungry. Make me hungry. When you go to the hospital and you've been sick, the nurses always monitor whether you've eaten anything because when your appetite comes back, that's an indication of physical health that is returning. It's the same thing in the spirit. Are you hungry for his presence? Are you hungry for the word of God? You know what? Sometimes, even though you're not hungry, you just have to take a couple of bites. And it's amazing how in a short amount of time, health starts to return. You know, maybe you've been away from the Lord for a while and you hadn't cracked the Bible in years. Just start afresh. Open the book of Psalms and just begin to let the, the, the struggles that David faced, who was completely human man, just, just, just a manly man who struggled with all kinds of stuff, and he laid it out there in front of all of us. And he saw the presence of God come and reveal himself to him and bring deliverance in everyone. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. I love that. Where, what place does the word have in your life? Are you putting it first place? What place are you giving it? Are you giving it time? Number two, the purpose of the word. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 from the message. I love this. But don't let it phase you. Paul's writing to Timothy. He says, stick with what you learned and believe. Sure of the integrity of your teacher's why, he says, you took in the sacred scriptures with your mother's milk. This is Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of 2 Timothy 3 when he says, you've known the scriptures from your infancy. He says, why, you took in the scriptures with your mother's milk. He says, there's nothing like the written word of God for showing you the way to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus. Everybody say the way. Every part of scripture is God-breathed and useful one way or another, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, and training us to live God's way. Last verse. Through the word, we are put together and shaped up for the tasks that God has for us. I love that. I grew up quoting this out of King James. It says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Greek word theonoustos. God breathes life into it. This is no ordinary book. It is not just history, but it is inspired. You read this and something comes alive on the inside of you because the book is alive. It's not just black ink on white paper, but God has breathed into the words of Holy Scripture. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. Don't be afraid of that word. It's just an old English way of saying teaching. You're getting a teaching right now. I'm giving you doctrine in the word of God. Some people are afraid of the word doctrine because they always say that doctrine divides. And that's true because truth divides. So this morning I'm giving you a teaching I'm, I'm helping you see that there are some tools that God has put into your toolbox whereby you can get, get the guidance of God that you need, okay? Profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. The NIV puts them all in progressive verbs. It's profitable for teaching, for reproving, for correcting, and for training. I love that. 
Teaching, reproving, correcting, training. The Word does these four things. This is the purpose of the Word of God in your life. That's why we open it. That's why we preach it. That's why we don't just come to Sunday and get one snack in about 45 minutes and try to live off that one meal all week, but we open the Word of God on a daily basis. Like the children of Israel went out and they gathered the manna every day. They were all instructed, get as much as you want. Those of you who don't have a big appetite, get a little. Those of you who are hungry, get more. We're not manipulative around here. It doesn't, just because you read 15 chapters a day doesn't make you holier than the guy who reads one verse. Because you may spend an hour meditating on that one verse and God just explode that thing on the inside of you. Matter of fact, I'm going to tell you, sometimes it's more powerful just to squeeze every bit of the juice out of one grape than it is to sit there and just look at a whole cluster real quick, quickly. All right, so teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. This is the road. Teaching is the road. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. Book of Isaiah says, you will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. So teaching is the way of life. Teaching is the way we're to learn to walk with Jesus. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, our memory verse this week from the purple book. Hello. Our memory verse this week from purple book is Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. It says, so just as you have received Christ as Lord, now walk with him as Lord. Okay, Lord is one of those words that you don't use during the week at the water cooler. It's, it's, a, it's a religious term. The best way I can tell you in modern English is that we all can identify with because of our employer. Lord means boss. He is calling the shots. He is telling you what to do, when to do it, and to have a good attitude while you're doing it. That's what your boss should be doing. He should be inspiring you, not just merely demanding, but inspiring you a lifestyle. And Jesus is the boss. This is the part of Christianity that some folks don't want. Be my savior, be my healer, be my banker, be my guide, but leave that boss part off. So when I begin to learn to put him first, let him be the cornerstone of the building of my life, and I begin to walk in the teaching and the way that he leads and guides me, this principle of the word starts to come alive. Now, when I get off track, reproof is showing me where I got off. The external guidance system of the children of Israel, the cloud by day, the fire by night, has moved on the inside now as a New Testament believer. And the Bible says in Romans 8, 14, for as many as are led by the spirit of God, they're the sons of God. So I'm learning to be led. Well, the Bible is like my road map. It's, it's the absolute. It tells me where the roads are. It's showing me where the bridges are, where this area of water is. And I have to be careful as I travel through this particular journey of life. I've got some, some steep roads and some high mountains. I've got some difficult decisions that I'm going to have to make before me. The map is there. This is the word. It's the teaching. It's the way that I'm supposed to walk in. But I've got an internal GPS system we'll talk about next week. It's inside my car as I'm driving and I take a turn and I get off on this particular road. I know where I'm supposed to be headed and I veer off the path. And the name It's it's funny to me that they've equipped all of these GPS devices with female voices. (laughs) Wrong turn. Recalculating. Recalculating. 
And many times this is what is happening in the spirit when we know that we're supposed to be on a journey headed a certain direction and we make a bad decision. We're tempted and we're momentarily lured into something. And so we're, we're, we are reproved. Okay, you got off path, recalculating, let's get you back on path. And sometimes you may wander around back in an area where there are no clear road signs for a little while until you are able to get your, your correction, where you find your way back onto the road, where you're trying to get in some territory where you know where you're headed. It's lining up with the map. I was in my 20s and living in North Carolina. I was a part of the country between Jacksonville and Richlands that you would head out a little bit toward the coast. Very foresty, kind of a rural area. A lot of Ku Klux Klan stuff out there. Some folks that weren't, didn't look too kindly at anybody coming from west of the Mississippi. And I'm just a little young punk kid going out there for, for Bible training, a part of a great church, which I was a part. And Don and I were married when we were out there. And I, I was trying to find Interstate 40. And there was a shortcut through this area called Nine Mile. And Nine Mile was not a good part, especially at night. And they would literally say, at sundown, you didn't want to be out there wandering around around Nine Mile because, I mean, there were all kinds of urban legends. Rural legends would be the right word. The stuff that was going on out there and, you know, just, you just didn't want to meet the, some of these folks didn't have any teeth in their mouth. And big dogs and rattlesnakes and all kinds of stuff. I got lost one night. I'm coming in off of I-40 and I'm trying to connect back into Richlands and I'm traveling through Nine Mile trying to find my way. And it's probably one o'clock in the morning. And I'm not wanting to be out there rolling around through all this maze of roads that loop back and forth into each other. And I'm just trying to connect and I'm praying, Jesus, help me. Because <laughs> you, you, know, you know how you get out in an area you don't know and it's like everything looks strange to you and there's a werewolf over there and a boogeyman going to jump out over here. You don't even look at me like that. Manly men can be scared too. <laughs> and I'm driving and praying and it literally took me probably 30 minutes coming through that trying to find my way out. And I finally saw a road sign that said 258 and you just cannot even imagine the overwhelming sense of peace that came over me when I saw a sign that told me I knew when I got to 258 I could find my way home. How many of you have ever been out and you've been lost and when you finally see a sign that you know that it's just an overwhelming peace. You're just like, oh, thank God, I'm not lost anymore. And I think that God does that in our, in our journey, in our walk. He gives us the word. He gives us a road map. He gives us an inner guidance system. Okay, you're, you're off here. We got to recalculate. So the teaching is the road I'm on. I'm reproved where I get off. This is where you missed it. Now we're going to have to recalculate and get you back on. That's correcting me. And how many of you know it's so important to be teachable? So important. Let me tell you something. I don't care how good you're anointed to sing. If you don't have a teachable spirit, I don't care how good you think you can get your preach on. If you're not teachable, doesn't matter how an amazing gift you have, unless you revere a teachable spirit more than you even do your own gift, you're going to be a frustrated musician. You're going to be a frustrated business person. You're going to be a frustrated husband or wife until you can learn how the Bible says, he who hates correction is stupid. 
Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1. Check it out. It's in your Bible. Look at your neighbor and say, don't be stupid. It's something about it that when I, I'm wrong and I'm a man, pride gets in my way. When I can put down my pride and listen to somebody else, and a lot of times the very first one that's coming into my life is the voice of my wife. God. She is not one bit intimidated by me and is not afraid to tell me, listen, man of God, you are wrong. And this is where it is. And she will reprove me and show me how to get back on my path. Now, she's an awesome woman of God. See, I, I, she, she left and had to go home for this service. She was here in the first one. She heard this, so I'm not talking out of school here. She says, Michael, you really kind of paint the wrong picture of me in front of these people. <laughs> no, I'm so thankful. Listen to me, guys. The best gift you have is sitting right there next to you this morning. Amen. Learn to listen. Some of you guys hadn't found her yet. He who finds a wife finds a good thing, and the Lord favor the Lord's with it. It's a blessing from God. And I've learned to listen and I've learned to say, you know what? You're exactly right. I was wrong. And you know what happens when I'm willing to do that and lay down my pride? The Bible says God rejects the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And when I humble myself, I get myself in line. It's like I just recalibrated the tuner on the inside of me and I tune in that signal and I can hear a clear word from heaven. It's amazing how when I just take the first step after I've humbled myself and I get a fresh word, how the blessing of God starts following what I do and he starts putting his hand of prosperity on it because I I changed my heart and my attitude. Are you hearing me this morning? So I have to learn how to be teachable. And then the last one is instruction and righteousness. I veer off the path. I get corrected and come back on. And then, thank God, learn how to stay on the path. Don't keep making the same mistake. I can miss it once and it's a mistake. I miss it the second time. I've made a deliberate choice to veer. God still loves you. His grace is still there. He'll reprove you and he'll correct you again. But you know what? You can be stuck out there nine miles for the rest of your life just going in circles until you finally say, God, I need some help. You know what? A couple times I've stopped and an old farmer would say, go down here about a quarter mile and you'll see a big tree. <laughs> and then you go up a little, little jaint, a little, pay, little way past that and there's a big rock and you turn left. To, and then you go a piece how many you know what I'm talking? Didn't you go down there to that hard road? That's what they call them in North Carolina. It's, in other words, it's not grass. It's a hard road. <laughs> Took me a year to figure out what a hard road was. I thought, what's a hard road? Aren't they all hard? Anyway. Are you getting anything out of this this morning? Number three, the God, the word is a person. Word is a person. I'm not just talking about a book. We, 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 we are not going to be guilty of bibliolatry where we bow down and worship a book. My goodness, get you a copy of one you can mark up. Grandma's Bible, if you don't want to mark it up, put it up in a shelf somewhere. But go, go, to, go to Walmart and get you a $3 Bible and get, bring something you can mark up and you can learn from. Or however, get, you know, get something installed on a smart device that you can look up on your phone. There's no excuse today not to get the word in you. It's an amazing app on Every one of your phones, whether it's an iPhone, whether it's an Android, whatever it is, any of your tablets, it's called Uversion. It's free. It doesn't even cost you, not even 99 cents. It's a free app. And you can plug in a passage of scripture and you can 
plug this thing into your car if you have a little auxiliary plug and pull up and you can read through whatever chapter you've designated. It will read it to you while you go around the 240 loop headed to your job and you can get the word in you while you're on the way. Or you get up in the morning and you're cooking eggs for the family. Set your, turn up the speakers on your desktop or your laptop or your, your tablet device or whatever. Just pick a passage. Let it be reading. Let it be reading out loud while the kids are getting up in the morning. While reading, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Except it's an amazing, he guides me. You know, with a great voice. <laughs> kids will wake up and go, God's talking this morning. What's happening? <laughs> Word is a person. It's alive. John 1, the word was made flesh. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, verse 14. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. I love Eugene Peterson's the message. He says, the word was made flesh and he moved into the neighborhood. We got to see how he lived. His life was a demonstration of God in flesh to us. Hebrews 4.12 says this, God means what he says, what he says goes. His powerful word is sharp as a surgeon's scalpel, cutting through everything, whether doubt or defense, laying us open to listen and obey. Nothing and no one is impervious to God's word. We can't get away from it, no matter what. King James says the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder, of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow. It says, and it's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. In other words, the word of God penetrates every area of our lives. There's nothing that we're doing that is apart from the powerful gaze, G-A-Z-E, the focus of God's eyes upon our lives. He sees it all. I remember when as a little bitty boy, I had been raised in a Christian home and an awareness of a God who was almighty and a God who saw everything. He was omnipresent. And I'd been trained at the table to pray, God is great, God is good, let us thank him for this food. Talking about the greatness and the goodness of God. I was about five years old. And I remember having a flashlight and pulling the homemade quilt that Granny made with the little farmer boys up over my head. And I was, had been told by my parents to go to sleep. And I didn't want them to see that I was still wanting to play with this little toy that I had. And I figured, you know, I'll just hide myself under the quilt. Now, never mind that I'm sitting up in the middle of the bed like a great big lump and there's a light under here shining around. And I think I'm invisible. <laughs> Harry Potter and I've got my cloak. <laughs> no. <laughs> there's, God's under the blanket with you. What you're hiding what you think you're getting by with and, you know, pulling the wool over the, the eyes of your spouse, your little habits, your little secret sins, your little stuff like that, that, you know, whatever you do, let me just say, I don't know who this is for. I didn't even say this in the last service, but I just feel prompted to say this. If you're hiding a habit or sin in your life, the Bible says in, in Psalm 66, verse 18, I did quote this scripture last time, but I didn't say it the way I'm saying it now. If I cherish iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. You know what? You can get around the accountability of others in a lot of different kinds of ways. But you won't miss the seeing eye of God in your life. Now, am I trying to terrify you? Yeah, a little bit. Second Corinthians says, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. You can't keep sowing those seeds and not reap a crop. I don't know who this is for. But I'm going to tell you right now, God's extending a season 
of repentance to somebody in this room. Please, I implore you, I beseech you, my brother, reach out and hear the word of the Lord this morning. The commandment of God to you today is repent and turn from that, whatever it is. The word of God will search, it will penetrate, it's alive, it's active, two-edged sword. Finally, this morning, I have four things that we're going to apply and we're finished. How do I apply this to my life? Number one, is there an example to be followed? You can ask these questions every time you open your Bible. Is there an example to be followed? I, I read through the book of Genesis. It's basically about several key men, Adam, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then about 13 chapters from about 36, 37 on to 50 is consumed with one guy's life by the name of Joseph. And you think about what a guy who had a raw deal. His brothers get ticked off at him because he knows, they know that he is one of his, their daddy's favorites. They've, 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 he's sewn him this technicolor coat and he's wearing it every day and he's kind of, you know, in his immaturity, flaunting his position a little bit. He has a couple of dreams and he makes a mistake of telling them to his half-brothers and they throw him in a pit, get sold into the rambling band of Ishmaelites that are coming by. And you know, next thing you know, you're reading about a 13-year story where he's in prison, he's accused. Before he actually goes to prison, he's sold into slavery into the house of Potiphar. Potiphar's wife has got the hots for him because the Bible says that he was well-built and a good-looking young man. And so he's enduring all these temptations, and he gets lied on, and he's in prison. 13 years of just enduring, having to stay sweet. Somewhere in the middle of all that, there's some example for me when if you're sitting here and you're in a job, you feel like you're at a dead end and you really are getting there on time and you've got an a, a good attitude during the day and you're not a problem person, you're not a gossiper, you're not a complainer, but you're part of the solution and you're, you're there serving. Let me tell you something, God will finally bring you out of that prison of obscurity and he will set you in a place of leadership. That's the example you learn from Joseph. Somebody in the room needs to hear that. You need to be encouraged. You've been trying to make right decisions and they've been promoting the wrong people. And stuff has been whispered about you and maybe the ear of the boss, the immediate supervisor has taken a wary eye to you. But let me tell you something. If you keep your heart right and you stay sweet in the prison, God will bring you out and you will rule over those who have lied over you. But then when you rule over them, you've got to have your heart checked and right. You've got to learn how to walk in forgiveness and not immediately exercise your power to take revenge on those who brought you through that path. Because guess what? Sometimes people are the ones who are responsible for causing us to go this way, but we forget that while they are responsible, God is sovereign over their choices. And I have to make the decision how I'm going to respond. I need to learn from Joseph's example. Is there an example to be followed? Oh my gosh, they're all over the word. Angel visits Mary and she says, be it unto me according to your word. When you hear a word from God, the worst thing you can do is try to figure out how you're going to do it on your own, but just basically agree with it and say, God, do what you've come to do in my life. Let it come to pass according to the promise of your word. Next one, is there a principle to be learned? Let's go back to Joseph. I already actually said it. 
People may make decisions that are responsible for the situation you're in, but ultimately God is sovereign over all of that. Joseph had to look them all in the face and he said, guys, listen, you forgive yourselves. I'm not going to stand in the place of God. You meant evil, but God meant it for good. Are you hearing me this morning? Learn the principle of the sovereignty of God in all things. He's going to work it out for you. He'll work all things together. The next one, is there a commandment to be obeyed? Is there a commandment to be obeyed? Let me just tell you something this morning. If, if you have never taken the step across the line of faith, the commandment, the only commandment that you have today is repent and believe the gospel. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full to his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. The only commandment you have this morning is to repent and believe the gospel. Turn your eyes to Jesus. Is there a promise to be believed? Finally, that's the last one. Let me just say this to you right now as I close this message. You cannot navigate the course of your life and make an attempt to utilize the spiritual guiding lights that God has given until you've actually asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart. I have a 2008 Jeep that is already equipped with satellite radio. But I've never had it turned on yet. Just, I just don't need another bill. That's just a decision that I've made. I, I would like to have it. I probably will have it turned on in the future. But right now, just got one kid out of college. I'm not caught my breath good until another one's about to graduate and go into college. Can I just talk real plain with you this morning? That thing already came equipped, but it can't receive right now because it's never been turned on. When you were born into this world, God put a spirit on the inside of you. Job chapter 32 verse 8 says, There is a spirit in man and the inspiration of the Almighty gives them understanding. But because you were born in sin, your spirit is dead to God. There is no reception whatsoever. I'm sorry, the equipment's there, but it's never been turned on. That's what David said when he said, The Lord hath lit my candle. Proverbs says, The candle of the Lord, the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. And when, when, the, when God takes his fire off the holy altar and he breathes life into the deadness of your dead spirit in sin, he turns on the equipment so that you can receive the signals from heaven. Jesus, the person of the word, comes and sits down as the internal guidance system and he takes his place on the throne of your heart and your life. But if you've never crossed that line of faith, you have the equipment, but it's dead and you can't hear anything. You can't make a good decision. Oh yeah, you may make some decisions that are temporal, that are in the world just based on some experience and you may see a degree of success. But really having a decision that is based on the perfect will of God is impossible until you have he who is the will of God living on the inside of your heart. This is just the simple gospel this morning. 
I don't have a list of to-dos. Nobody in this room can keep the to-dos. Only Jesus hung on the cross having already done all the to-dos and he said, it is finished. That's the good news of the gospel. I'm not telling you to do anything today except just fall desperately, fall desperately into the arms of the one who's already run the race and he says, I will carry you across the finish line. I will breathe life into your deadness. I will turn on your radio equipment and give you a connection to your satellite radio from heaven. Bow your heads with me, please, this morning. Oh, God, I need you. I need you as much now as I have ever needed you before in my whole life. I need you to give me grace and keep me hungry. There are days I don't feel like being a pastor. There are days I don't feel like going through the the spiritual motions and just dealing with people. Help me. I desperately need you. Give me grace for your word. Give me grace to be an honest man before these people and not play games. Lord, there's a brother or a sister sitting in this crowd right now who was born with the equipment to get a signal from heaven. And Father, they know that it's never been turned on. Every head bowed, every eye closed. All you have to do right now is just say, Jesus, save me. That's the first and the most critical, the most important decision that God will ever bring to you in your life. And right now, all seven lights are lighted up saying, land your plane right here. You've heard the word. There's an unction in your spirit right now that's pushing you to do this. You've heard godly counsel. You've heard a prophetic confirmation come to you. Circumstances have brought you to this church today. Peace of God is settling over you right now. Now, you guess what? You got to land this plane, make this decision. I'm not going to pressure you. I'm not going to manipulate anybody. You have to do that and stand before God yourself. Spirit of God is blowing into some hearts right now. Inspiration, God breathing into your life to turn on the equipment to receive the signal from heaven. Heads bowed, eyes closed. If you want us to pray for you this morning, not going to call you out, not going to embarrass anybody, not going to call you to the front. Just stay in your seat. Nobody looking around. If you want to be included in this prayer and say, Pastor, I've heard the word of God today. I'm ready to turn my life to Jesus and say, be Lord, be boss of my life. Right now, slip your hands up. I want to see around the room. Yes. There's one that I know of. Anybody else? Hold it up high. And there's another. Okay. And another. Yes. And another back there. I see you on the back row. Thank you. Yes. You can put your hands down. I want to pray for you right now. Father, in Jesus' name. Thank you for your drawing presence. Spirit of God, you're doing what no man can do. Reach down to the hearts of these men and these women right now. Lord, as they simply say these words, Jesus, forgive me. I'm a sinner. I need you. Save me. I turn from my past. I turn to you. I believe. I trust you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. As you take those words and just put them in, into your heart and just pray them to the Father right now, he's doing the work of the Holy Spirit, birthing you into the kingdom of God. That's what the word promises. That's the promise to be believed today. God, thank you that you're doing that right now. Every head still bowed, every eye closed. I'm talking to believers now. You've been walking with the Lord for however long. You've heard the word today and it's ignited something fresh in you. A fresh commitment. Not challenging to go out of here today to read X number of chapters. That's not what it's about. This is not religious observance. 
But it's just basically saying before God, God, I want to be hungry. I want to know your word. I want to know your voice. Let your word come alive. I'm asking for a Bible revival. I'm going to ask right now, anybody in this room who's just knowing that you need to have the word of God solidly in your life, you're going to make a commitment today to turn toward that. Slip your hand up around the room. I'm raising mine. I'm saying, God, the times I'm not hungry, pour out your grace and make me hungry. Let a Bible revival come in my life. Let a Bible revival come in the lives of these people who've raised their hands this morning. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon them and Lord, make them hungry where they crave the word and literally can't put it down. And you cause a fire to be birthed in the bosom in their lives. Make them men and women, Lord, of commitment to your word, godly character. Set us on fire for your kingdom, O God. In the name of Jesus, I pray. By the power of the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, and everybody said,